Well, this morning it is Mother's Day. I appreciate Aaron giving us a, a, a little uh, <clears throat> reminder there. Um, I certainly uh, sent a little text during the... <laughs> so, oh, yeah, Mother's Day. Um, I certainly made sure I'm sending off stuff to my mother. I'll give her a call this afternoon. Um, and, um, you know, e-cards or whatever has to happen at the last minute. Mother's Day. Um, you know, it was a year ago at Mother's Day that we were speaking a message about Mother's Day where we were talking a little bit about 1 Thessalonians and how the Apostle Paul reminds us that discipleship is really emulated by mothers. Um, he says in 1 Thessalonians, and that was our text last a year, a year ago, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 where he says, we were delighted to share not only our lives, but also, not only the message of Christ, but also our lives as well. We were as a mother caring for her children. Now you're thinking, wow, how does he remember the messages a year ago? Do you remember my messages from a year ago? Yeah, typically I don't. But I remember it especially because we are studying in the Bible study hour uh, in my class, in Ryan's class on 1 Thessalonians. We are studying that passage again today. So uh, that really helped remind me about that. And uh, for some of you all, uh, you are invited to join us to the to Bible study hour. Um, today we are, though, going to continue to our study of what does it take to be a disciple maker. Because our mothers emulate some of that. But our Lord Jesus was actually this master disciple maker. Jesus is actually the one who modeled for us what it is to make disciples. And I think one of the things we need to realize, and what Jesus modeled, is he really did sort of work with lots of different people. Have you noticed that there are lots of different people? Have you noticed that your priorities are not necessarily um, everybody else's priorities? Have you noticed that the way you do things are not necessarily the way everyone else does things? Have you noticed that with your kids? I've always thought that you know, parents have the hardest job. Mothers probably have the hardest jobs because we have priorities for our children. And what happens when our children's priorities and our priorities don't always match? Um, people are different. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. Now, it's not as if the Apostle Paul is the Savior. He knows that Jesus is the Savior. But what he's saying is that he becomes all things to all people, that he might lead some of them to a knowledge and faith in Jesus. To the Jew, he says, I become like the Jew. He was Jewish himself. He could very easily fit into the synagogues. He could fit into the dietary codes. He knew the customs at dinner. But to the Gentile, to the non-Jewish, he became like the non-Jewish. To the I noticed this. Did you know colleges have different personalities? Colleges actually have different personalities. Different schools have different personalities. John and I uh, had the privilege of Syracuse, right? I mean, we, we were there. Thank John. I'm all in the back. We always kind of have a little Syracuse moment. But it was very much driven by sports and high energy. It was a fun campus. Up the road, Oswego State. They were driven by video games. They could care less about sports, um, but they, they were all into like different movies and Dungeons and Dragons, and I called it my nerdy campus. That was kind of my nerdy campus. Then there was Cortland State, just down the road. That was another campus ministry. Cortland State didn't, it wasn't into, did you know one out of every six students at Cortland State was a PE major? 
like physical education. They all wanted to be PE teachers. So we didn't do things like, oh, it's video game day. No, 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 they wouldn't come. But if it was volleyball time, they were there in droves with teams and ready to win. And the Oswego guys, they didn't come for volleyball day. But if we had a video game tournament, they were there. Okay, our college campuses have different personalities. People have different personalities. We become all things to all people. So it's almost like we have to be a little bit like chameleons. Now, <clears throat> you, you know about chameleons, right? They actually have some kind of little crystal stuff underneath their skin that with enough little electro energy, it kind of can change the pigmentation of their skin. A fascinating creature, right? And we typically think of chameleons as changing their color for what? Camouflage, right? They want to be invisible to the predators or even invisible to their prey. Did you know the primary reason the chameleons change color is actually to communicate with other chameleons? That, that, that their colors, that they, they send off bright colors if they're angry or they're challenged, or, 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 and they send out different colors for different maybe more romantic reasons, but they send out different colors for different reasons as chameleons. It's actually for communication. Paul is saying we have to become all things to all people. We need to find bridges. We need to create ways in which we can share the good news of Jesus because without sharing the good news of Jesus, how do we ever become disciple makers? It's interesting to me how many of you all have spoken to me about an interest to share Jesus with people at work, with colleagues, with people in your family, with children, with parents, with relatives, that you have said, I, but I don't even know where to begin. Well, thankfully, we have Jesus who teaches us how to be disciple makers. Let's look at John chapter 3, and we're going to see a couple stories, short stories in John chapter 3 and John chapter 4 that give us insights into how Jesus bridged the gap and began to make his son known. Look in John chapter 3, verse 1. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Okay, break, stop, hold on, lots of things that should have caught your attention. This man named Nicodemus was important. He was influential. He was part of the Jewish ruling council. Now, this ruling council really was still under Roman rule, so they didn't have complete like self-governance, but... When it came to religious life of the people, when it came to day-to-day -day affairs, when it came to the things about people and their interactions with the synagogue and with God and the community of the Jewish people, he was extremely important, extremely influential, and he was a Pharisee. The Pharisees were the rule keepers. And not only were they the rule keepers, the experts in what God had told them to do, they were also the people who wanted to make sure you were keeping the rules right? These were the ones, they were the, the ones that were keeping tabs. They were the ones that were watching you. They were the ones that were making sure you uh, were in involved in doing what was right. Well, this man, Nicodemus, it says in verse 2, came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, he called Jesus teacher, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. We know 
The other Jewish leadership knows. The Jewish leadership that would ultimately have Jesus killed knew you have come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. You know, I've come to believe in this whole story. It has something to show me. It shows me that people want to know more about Jesus. They know there's something about Jesus. In fact, in some surveys, people have said, yeah, they're very positive about Jesus, but they're negative about the church. They're positive about, they think Jesus is probably a good guy, but they're negative about how we convey the message of Jesus or the truth about Jesus, or they think they understand, they don't really seem to like Christians. Do they have someone that they trust? Are we making being a good representative of him? Well, Jesus replies to this statement and says, very truly, I tell you that unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. In fact, he says no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And Nicodemus asked, how can someone be born when they're old? Surely you can't enter a second time into their mother's womb. And everybody's thankful for that, right? I mean, surely you can't enter a second time in your mother's room. This is impossible. What are you saying, Jesus? It doesn't make sense. And Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of both water, that's physical birth, and born of the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at me saying that you must be born again. Jesus continues, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you, 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 you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Nicodemus responds, how can this be? How can this be? He's confused. Are, are you confused at this point already? <laughs> Does this passage just kind of like... You know, Jesus, I don't know here. Are you not seemingly being very clear here? Are you explaining the message in a good way here? What are you doing? What are you talking about? Wind blowing where it wills, being born again. You're, you're putting a whole new spin on language. Nobody knows what you're meaning. What? <clears throat> Quite frankly, it sounds like some of my philosophy papers that got turned in last week. I have no idea what they're talking about some of the time. And I, and I felt like I taught them pretty clearly, but what they're giving back to me, I apparently feel like I failed there. Some of their papers make no sense. Um, uh, Jesus was starting to be, sound a little bit like he didn't make sense. What Jesus was talking about was the role of the Holy Spirit. What Jesus was indicating what would come, become clear through his later teachings, later in the Gospel of John, and later through the Apostle Paul, as he speaks about this role of the Holy Spirit. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, it says, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, living by your own desires, your own physical wants, but in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. You see, what the Apostle Paul later fully explains is that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have forgiveness for your sins because Jesus would die on the cross for your sins, but you were also what theologians call regenerated regenerated, born again. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside you. You become a new creation. You become someone who God's Spirit dwells in you. You become someone who walks with God, whose God's presence is there on a daily, moment-by-moment -moment basis. You become a new creation. You guys realize this. Religion, this is not a new religion. This is not a new set of rules. 
Nicodemus had rules and religion in spades. What this was, was a relationship with the presence of God. This was a new birth where God indwelt the person. And that is the promise for us as believers. So the religious traditionalist needs to know that religious rules are no substitute for a life of the Spirit, for this relationship of God's indwelling Spirit in us. There are tons of people. They live all around us. They are our neighbors. They are our family members. And they believe they're fine. They've got religion. They're a good person. How could God be upset? Jesus says you will not be part of the kingdom of God unless you are born again. The Holy Spirit comes to reside in you. That only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Rules are no substitute. Traditions cannot compare with the present here and now work of God. You might enjoy your church. You might have enjoyed handbells. Anybody enjoyed handbell choir? I was in the handbell choir. I got kicked out. But uh, you might enjoy those kinds of traditions in your, in your church and the Mother's Day traditions and whatever it was that made you come and you thought this was special. But the work of God in your life, oh, that's so much more. Religious doctrines. You might even believe all of the right things, but they are an adequate alternative to a real relationship with God's Messiah, with Jesus, through his Spirit. <laughs> Jesus almost seems struck by this situation and says, you're Israel's teacher. You're the guy who's been teaching Sunday school. You're the guy who's teaching the teachers of Israel. You're the main religious authority around here. And you don't get this? You somehow miss this? You don't understand these things? He says, very truly, we speak of what we know, we testify about what, we, what we've seen, but you people don't accept our, meaning his, testimony. You don't believe it. Verse 12, Jesus goes on to say, I've spoken to you of earthly things and you don't believe. How are you going to believe if I tell you about heavenly things? And then Jesus said this, just as Moses lifted up a, the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Once again, Jesus, clarity. Clarity here. A snake in a desert, Moses. What, wait, what are you talking about? Okay, Nicodemus should have understood Nicodemus would know the story. Nicodemus knows that Moses, for 40 years, wandered with the Israelites before they went into the promised land. And those Israelites rebelled. They stopped obeying God. They started complaining. And God sent snakes. Now, I've got to be honest. Out of all the judgments of God, snake. anybody like, not like, like the snake thing? I mean, I don't like snakes. I mean, maybe it was spiders could have been worse, but snakes is definitely bad. Sna I mean, snakes. And they were venomous, and they bit the people, and the people were poisoned, and they were upset, and they were like creeped out, and they were like, this is awful, and they're hurting, and they're in pain. And, God, and they cried out to the Lord, heal us. And the Lord said to Moses in Numbers 21, make a snake and put it on a pole. And anyone who is bitten can look to that snake, just look up at the snake on the pole, look up at the snake, and they'll live. So Moses made a bronze snake, and he put it on a pole. And when anyone was bitten by a snake, they could look to the pole, uh, the bronze snake, and they lived. Now, Nicodemus knew that story. He, he knew that it had to do with God's forgiveness. He knew that it had to do with God putting a snake on a pole. But what does that have to do with Jesus? What Jesus was saying is that story was really about me. 
that that was a symbol about me. It was a typology, a foreshadowing. And just as you're going to look at the snake that was lifted up on a pole, this, this image, this symbol, so I will be lifted up. I'm going to be put on a cross. I will die for sins. And when people put their faith in me, when they look to me, they can have forgiveness and renewal. How did Nicodemus miss it? Quite honestly, I think I would have missed it too. But Jesus is saying the symbolism is woven all the way through. It's woven all the way through. God has been speaking about his salvation and his Messiah and his son all the way through. This religious leader, this person who is steeped in the Jewish tradition, this person who should have known, missed it. Missed it. Brothers and sisters, there is a world that surrounds us, and I don't know how they've missed it, but they've missed it. John chapter 3, Jesus goes on to say, For God loved the world so much, he didn't give us a bronze snake, he loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever shall believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Did you ever see at the football games the guys that used to hold up the John 3.16 signs? I don't think anybody knows what that means anymore. When I teach my New Testament class, the first thing I have to do is teach them about book and chapter and verse so they can actually know where to find stuff when I refer to it in class. That's in lesson number one. That's, that's day number one in New Testament class. People don't know what John 3.16 even refers to, but it refers to this verse where Jesus had just explained, Nicodemus, you should have understood about Moses and this snake in the desert. But now you should understand it's about me. God has given me. I'm the new person. I will be lifted up. I'm going to be the sacrifice. But our world has missed it. I don't know what happened. Is it because people stopped going to vacation Bible school? If churches have been closed recently, we haven't even been able to have vacation Bible school. And that's where I memorized John 3.16. Are we not telling it clearly? I think in many ways we have. But somehow the world was unable to hear it. We have to continually, repeatedly, as clearly as possible, say God loves you and you and you and you. He loved you so much that he sent Jesus, that Jesus died for sins. Without Jesus, you have no forgiveness. You have no hope. Without Jesus, you have no eternal life. Jesus has been God's Messiah from the very beginning. Everything has been pointing to him, and now everything looks back to him, and he is returning for us. You were either born again. You have the Holy Spirit. You have Jesus in your life because God loved you so much that he sent his own. Whoever would believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Today might be your day that you're like, I'm in. I'm going to come to Jesus. He goes on to say this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. Pharisees, cut it out. We're not here for condemnation, but to save the world through him. For whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in God's one and only Son. You can't reject God's provision and be right with God. You can't reject God's Messiah and be right with God. You can't because you've already blown it. Jesus is the Savior. To the religious person, to those religious in our lives, to those who surround us every day that think they're okay, they're good enough, they've got their traditions, they've got something, they feel okay, Jesus stands to remind us to the religious that Jesus' question, you've got to be born again, his question about you don't understand this, he exposed to Nicodemus what was missing, what he had missed. And Jesus explained, 
all that he had missed. He exposed what was missing. He explained what was missed. For us, as those who follow Jesus, we are his ambassadors. We are those that need to expose what is missing. People think they've got it all together. They've got a great mortgage rate locked in. They've got their 401k plans going. Maybe it's a 4013 if you're a nonprofit. They, they've got all that locked in. They, they, they've got their kids, their grandkids. They've, they've, got, they've got everything they think they want out of life. We've got to expose what is missing, a relationship with God, a forgiveness, an eternal life. And we have to explain what they have missed, what they have overlooked. Though it's been said every Sunday, though it's hopefully, it's on bumper stickers all around, it's on billboards when you drive, especially in the southern United States, it's on billboards all around. But we've got to explain, God loves you. He sent Jesus to die for you. Put your faith in Jesus. He's risen from the dead to give you a new kind of life. In John chapter 4, Jesus begins to go through Samaria. And he came to a town called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Joseph had given to his son. Jacob was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came up to draw water, Jesus said, will you give me a drink? Now, his disciples had actually gone into town to buy food. It's a simple question. Could you give me something to drink? Here's a well, but he didn't have a bucket. He didn't have a way to draw the water from the well. The well was pretty deep. Jesus couldn't just kind of stick his head down there. There was no way to quite get to the water. He had to somehow get to the water, and he just asked for help. Could you get me something to drink? It seems like such a simple question, but it began a relationship. It was actually a relationship that was kind of not normal for the time. The woman said to him, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? We've got a racial divide here. We don't get along. You're that race. I'm this race. Our racial groups hate each other. You should not be talking to me, much less asking me for a drink. Number two, you're a man and I'm a woman. We're out here alone, and you definitely shouldn't be talking to me about like that. This is culturally inappropriate on all kinds of levels. How in the world could you just break all these boundaries? How could you violate all these social norms? How in the world are you doing this? How can you be asking me for a drink? Well, Jesus could have explained about his love for all people. Jesus could have talked about how he doesn't care about the social norms of the day. He's come to bring salvation to all. He could have given a lot of different answers. But he said this. If you knew the gift of God and who it is who's actually asking you for a drink right now, you would have been asking him and he would have given you living water. Okay. Living water. Something new, something that is life-giving, something that is, that is incredible. Her interest is piqued. I mean, she, she's, we're going to find out in a minute. She doesn't really care that much about the social norms anyway. She says this, sir, you've got nothing to draw with and the well's deep. Where are you going to get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself? As so did his sons and his livestock. That seems pretty innocuous kind of statement. You don't have any way to get the water. How are you going to get it? What she was really doing, it was she was picking a fight. She was picking a fight. Jacob's our father. 
You Jewish people claim that he's only your father, but he's our father too. You Jewish people, when you came back to rebuild the temple, you wouldn't let us Samaritans help rebuild the temple. You said that we're not truly part of God's people. You said that we couldn't be involved. You excluded us. You kicked us out, but we're part of the people of God too. We have God's laws too. We're just as important as you are, and are you more important than our father, Jacob? He's our dad too. Do you see what's going on here? She's ready to get into it right now. She's ready to talk about these things. And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water is going to be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I will give him will become a spring welling up to eternal life. Okay, he didn't take the bait. Fine. We'll play along with your little craziness, Jesus. The woman said, sir, give me this water so I don't have to get thirsty anymore. And I won't have to keep coming here to draw water from the well. And Jesus said, why don't you just go back and call your husband come, and then come back. She's not wanting to talk about that. Her response is, I don't have a husband. His response to her is, well, actually, you're, you're being honest there. What you've said is quite true. You, you have no husband because the fact is you've actually had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. So when you say you don't have a husband, I guess what you're saying is right. Okay. I was just hoping to have a nice little confrontation here, a nice little religious, ethnic, religious debate here. I was willing to stay over there, but now you're getting personal, and he's exposing the fact that her life was broken. That wasn't her dream. As a little girl, you know what I think? I think I'm going to go through marriage and divorce five times. I don't think that was it. Oh, I want to live in scandal and be rejected from my culture and from my friends and from my family because I'm living with a guy who's not my husband. I, I, I don't think that was her plan in her life. To live under scandal, to live under feeling like a failure, to live like her life and live in a broken mess. You've had five husbands. You know, to the one who is the outsider, to one who feels like an outcast, they need to know these three things. That the love of God is not conditional. She did not have to have achieved everything good. God loved her. Period. And God loves her. And God loves you. Period. That relationship with God's people is not conditional. She didn't have to get her act all cleaned up so she could be around God's people. She could be here. She can be in relationship. She can have be in discussion. She can have this connection to the people of God. We need to make sure that we're not so uppity and self-righteous that we are putting all kinds of barriers where people can't think that they have a relationship with us. And number three, she needs to realize this. And maybe you and I need to realize this, that every one of us is broken. At one time, we all, foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteousness we'd done, but because of his mercy. Sort of the woman said, I can see you're a prophet. <laughs> Fine. You can see right through me. Great. Well, 
Fine, let's have a little religious discussion again, right? She's wanted to do that. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that we gotta, the place we got to worship is in Jerusalem, at the temple that you won't let us even be a part of. Woman, Jesus said, believe me, a time's coming and has now come when those who worship the Father will neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, but we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Don't miss what Jesus said. Everybody is worshiping something. Everyone is worshiping something. They're worshiping what they don't know. They're worshiping what they think is the good life. They're worshiping what they think is God. They worship what they think is goodness. They're worshiping what they think is reality. But instead, the author of life has broken into time and space. Jesus has come among us. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. But salvation is coming. And it has come from the Jews. A time is coming, Jesus says, when, and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father neither will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kinds of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. I don't know where the woman was at this point. But now she realizes this isn't just any old religious conversation. This isn't just a debate with a, a Jewish man that she shouldn't get along with. This isn't anything else but an, an encounter with someone who is now seemingly accepted her and is befriending her and is telling her these incredible things. But how could this go any farther? And she says, well, maybe someday. Maybe someday. I know that the Messiah, he's called the Christ, is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Maybe one day I'll get this figured out. And Jesus says, surprise. <laughs> I, the one who am speaking to you, I'm here. I'm here. Can you imagine the joy? I mean, can you imagine the astonishment? Can you imagine the, wait, wait, what? What? You're the, you're the Messiah? I mean, obviously you're a prophet. Obviously you see right through me. And you've accepted me, and you're talking to me, and you're inviting me to living water, some kind of new life. Could this be? Could this be real? People want to know. They want to experience. We've got to introduce them to Jesus. Leaving her water jar, she took off. The woman went back to the town and said to all the people, all the people who judged her, all the people who ostracized her, all the people who kicked her out, she, she couldn't help herself. She said, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. You guys already know what I've done, but... Could this actually be the Messiah? I, I think it could be him. They all came out of town. Her, her, her testimony influenced them, and they made their way to him. That they came, and it says that many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. So the Samaritans came to him. They urged him. A Jewish man who they didn't like just because he was Jewish. Would, would you stay? If you're this Messiah, would you stay? Would you, would, you, would you talk to us? And he stayed two more days. And because of his words, verse 41 tells us, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. To the outsider... Jesus' question, could you give me a drink? Started a relationship. Started a relationship. But then Jesus connected their identities. A broken woman who needed a Savior with the Messiah who had come. 
for us, that's our pattern. That's our pattern. We need to be those that ask the questions, that just invite people into relationships, with first with us, so that they may see and know Jesus. We need to be those who our life and our words expose what the world is missing. What do you talk about at work? What do you talk about with your family? Can you just help bleeding over into the reality of God in your life, that he comes, that he lives within us? Can you expect that the, the, the author of life who lives within you would be doing the miraculous on a day-by-day basis. Today, one of you, not today, this week, one of you shared with me about a story at work. A boss, that the person had a long time, who's always been very hostile towards religion. But this week, this week, began to ask some questions. This week, began to kind of make some little jabs, but it opened up the door. Are we ready for God to move? And finally, are we using all of those opportunities to explain what was missed, explain the truth about Jesus, the Son of God who loves you, the Son of God who has come for you, the Son of God who has given his life for you, the Son of God who rose again and has given us new life if we put our faith in him. Maybe today as a teenager, today as an adult, you want to respond to Jesus. Would you say yes to him? For those of you that believe in him, would you say, Jesus, here am I, use me. I'm going to ask the questions. Could you give me a drink? How are you doing today? How's time with your mother, family? Do you go to church? Just see what people's response is. Invite them into a relationship with Jesus. This morning, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, the invitation is now. Would you say yes? Forgive me. Maybe you want to talk to your son, your Bible study teacher right after this. Maybe you want to come down while I'm here at the front. But if you want to say, look, I'm in. I want to say yes to Jesus. I'm just doing it. I can't wait any longer. I don't know what it all means. But if he's the Messiah, I'm in. Would you respond to Jesus with God's people today? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, for your truth, and for your son. Draw all men to yourself and be lifted up in our lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.